We're bringing you more conversations from our Investing Experts podcast, abridged conversations from our most recent episodes. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Investing Experts podcast. My name is James Ford, and I am the pragmatic investor on Seeking Alpha. Today, I had the pleasure of speaking to Mark Chandler, the chief market strategist at Bannockman Global Forex. He is also a fellow essay contributor. Today, we had a great conversation about the macro outlook for the US economy, the outlook for Fed policy in the future, what this means for stocks. So we're looking at the Fed Fund's future strip, and I'm looking at the January contract. And the reason I look at the January contract is because the December contract, because of the year, because for a couple of things. One, you have to keep in mind that the contract settles not at the target rate, but at the effective average rate of the Fed Fund. So they're taking a weighted average of the cash transaction the Fed Fund's market. And so that's where it settles at. And since the Fed hiked rates in May, the average effective Fed funds rate has been 5.08%. And when I look at where the market says, looking at that January contract, the market right now, as we speak here, is at 5.12%. And so that tells me it's only four basis points on top of the current rate. To me, that's a, uh, a very small chance of a hike being priced in. And some people have suggested they push back and they say, no, what I'm missing is the Fed will hike rates in July, perhaps, and then cut them before the end of the year. So we're back where we are now. And I think while it's possible, I think Mm -hmm. it's highly improbable. The Federal Reserve would be raising rates and then cutting them. I think it presupposes some kind of shock. You know, and what we do, it's, it's next to impossible to forecast a shock. I mean, a shock by definition is a surprise. And so while it's possible that the Fed will raise rates in July and then cut them before the end of the year, I think it's more likely that by the time we get to that July meeting, which takes place late in the month, we'll see CPI fall further. Remember what happened last June. The CPI rose by 1.2%. This will drop out of the 12-month comparison, be replaced by something much lower, say 0.2, maybe even 0.3. That'll bring the That'll bring the rate down, the headline year-over-year rate, down to something close to, say, 3.2 to 3.3%. So in addition to the low inflation by the time the Fed meets again at the end of July, well, I, I think we're going to have some weaker economic data. I think the U.S. Mm-hmm. economy is peaking now here in Q2, around 2% growth, give or take a little bit. In the second half of the year, some of the tightening forces, whether it's student loans having to be paid back for the first time in several years, whether it's the tightening of fiscal policy as the price for the debt ceiling drama to end, whether it's just this continuation of some of these drags from whether it's from uh, bank lending, tighter lending conditions, whether it's the contraction in money supply, M2, whether it's the collapse uh, in the leading economic indicators we'll get next week again. And we look at the six-month pace there, and we're at a pace that we've only seen during recession. So I'm looking at the economy almost be an inverse of last year. Remember what happened last year? The economy contracted the first half of the year, grew in the second half. Now I'm suggesting we're going to grow here in the first half of the year. That's already, that, that cake is baked. Uh, but I'm looking at a weaker economy. So by the time the Fed meets in July, it is, it is hard for me to see how they resume with falling inflation and weaker growth. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, absolutely. It seems like a lot of what's driving the narrative today is, of course, that uh, disinflation, right? So that inflation level coming down. 
At the same time, you're talking about the strength of the U.S. economy. So would you say that maybe we're entering one a period that the market would be quite um, favorable about, which is that lowering inflation together with the slightly weakening economic data, probably pushing the Fed to cut. So, well, first of all, what is your outlook on inflation? Do you think that uh, the Fed has conquered inflation? Yes. Yeah, so, you know, inflation, I think, is, is a tough thing, partly because uh, there's so many ways to uh, slice and dice the data. What I have found most helpful is to look at what we're doing at an annualized pace. Mm-hmm. So where are we on an annualized pace? And in fact, in the first five months of this year, the CPI has risen faster than it did in the second half of last year. So I, I think that's a concern. So I guess if, if I had, if, if you told me like uh, you you nominated me to be uh, at the Federal Reserve for today's meeting, I'd probably be inclined to hike. I, I think that the way the Fed is thinking about it is I think they recognize uh, that they were behind the curve uh, to take their foot off the gas uh, by uh, the QE and a little bit slow out of the box to raise interest rates. I think that the Fed thinks uh, that its inflation credentials have been have been uh, scarred or scratched or deteriorated a little bit. And I think that if they and the economy has proven more resilient uh, than the Fed has thought. And so I, I, I would be more inclined to raise rates, but uh, thinking that I'm done with today's mm-hmm. hike. But I don't I think that the Federal Reserve is still like wrestling with this. Uh, and so um, I, I don't think inflation is conquered, but I do think that uh, inflation in the second half of the year is going to be a little bit tougher for this base effect. Because of inflation so low, below 3% in the second half of last year, I think that when we look at the base effect for the second half of this year, it's going to be harder comparison. And so I, I think the, the the most of the decline in inflation might be behind us. Getting it coming to come down from like 8% to say what I think is going to be a 3% or so when we get this June print, that's one thing. But to get it to the 2% target is a bit different. And this is what I'm going to be watching with those dot plots from the Fed is when you look at what they what they forecast in March, they still have inflation above their target next year. But they they have signaled by looking at their median forecast more than one cut next year. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think when, when we talk about the market uh, pricing in a cut, I don't think that uh, this year is very likely, but I think a cut next year is, is, is very likely. Mm-hmm. Now, when people think about the Fed cutting, that is usually in anticipation of weaker data or recession. This is something that has been talked a lot about. I think, as you said, we've had a bit of a surprise towards the beginning of this year with growth being a bit more robust. How do you feel about the timeline for that recession, soft versus hard landing? Where do you fall on that debate? Yeah, you know, it's funny. I thought that uh, we would have a recession by now. Uh, mm-hmm. I thought that those uh, first two quarters of last year contracting two quarters back to back. But it turned out to be a bit of a statistical fluke having to do with the trade and inventory management. Uh, you know, economists typically don't admit they're wrong, at least not the economists I know. What they typically do is they just keep pushing out their forecasts. And so the recession from 2022, now it's not likely 2020, second half of 2023 or into 2024. I think what's hard about uh, forecasting a recession right now, despite all these economic indicators pointing to weakness, uh, despite the, uh, the strength of the labor market, I'm concerned that next year, as you know, is a presidential election year. Right. And typically, that is not when the U.S. has a recession. Efforts are done uh, to prevent that from happening. And so uh, slow growth is one thing. A recession, a different story. Uh, and I think that there's some favorable developments. I mean, besides the strength of the labor market, I think that uh, the easing of supply chains, so far the drop in oil prices, a drop in commodity prices in general, I, I think that uh, all all generally like uh, uh, helping to promote 
even if it's weak growth. And I think the, you know you raise an important point too. I think what's what's like the outlook going to be? So to me, what's happened is it's like the U.S. economy is a snake, and mm-hmm. it ate a doe. And that is the shock that we've had, Uh, whether it is uh, the lockdowns related to COVID, whether it's the uneven reopenings, uh, Russia's invasion of Ukraine, the Chinese economy, all posing shocks. Uh, We've got weather shocks as well with these Canadian fires, low water in the Panama Canal. So as the U.S. economy, the snake, absorbs these shocks, eating that baby dough, it takes a while. To, to to like work its way through the system. And I suspect that on the other side of this, we're going to return to what we call the great moderation. Uh, before, the, before the great financial crisis, we had a, a long period of slow growth, low inflation. And I think that that is, to me, that's the most likely scenario is a return to slow growth, low inflation, low interest rates. Even though I know many people uh, disagree with me, they think that we've broken into this new uh, higher inflation world, whether it's because of the end of globalization, uh, whether it's because of various reasons they've come up with why we're going to be in this quasi-permanent uh, higher inflation paradigm. And I think that, uh, I, I think while it's possible, I still think that's more likely that we go back to uh, the, the forces that were dominating before these shocks that produced this low growth, low interest rates, low inflation. The idea of liquidity being drawn out of the market due to the debt ceiling, because the debt ceiling was reached, the government is now going to refill that TGA, Treasury General Account, draining liquidity out. How do you see the outlook for stocks and equities in the yes, in light amazing. of those two events? Right, it's an amazing story, huh? I mean, this people talk about American exceptionalism, and I don't know any other country that could go through this debt, uh, you know, authorized spending, and then not mm-hmm. having congressional approval to pay for it. It's what a bizarre, uh, what a bizarre set of circumstances. And and despite how bizarre it is, and despite uh, Fitch putting the U.S. on credit watch for a possible downgrade over it, I, I think that uh, I think that we should expect this to happen again. Partly, I think that. Uh, it's a kind of bizarre thing because in Europe, for example, or Japan, in the parliamentary system, uh, this would seem to be almost impossible to happen. Uh, but the U.S. presidential system, where the party in the executive branch doesn't necessarily have a majority or have control of the legislative branch, produce these kind of weird outcomes. At the same time, I think both political parties have used the debt ceiling debate mm-hmm. to try to exact concessions from the other party. Neither party, I think, really wants to give it up, even though it seems to me to be a dangerous game that the U.S. loses. I think it, it sort of mars our credibility on the world stage uh, when we have to get so close to this brinkmanship tactics. But I, you raise an important point, and that is uh, sort of what is going on with liquidity. Uh, we know that the Federal Reserve is engaged in quantitative tightening, where it's letting the balance sheet shrink. Your point about the uh, the debt ceiling as the resolution, a flood of T-bills hitting the market already. Uh, between last week and this week, I think something like $750 billion worth of bills and coupons uh, mm-hmm. have hit the market. And the question really is, is how are these paid for? If these are going to be paid out of banks' deposits, banks' reserves, you get a tightening of liquidity conditions. But if it's going to be partly paid out of foreigners mm-hmm. uh, buying U.S. assets, and it's going to be paid partly by deposits coming in back into the banks, that the squeeze on funding may be a little bit less, especially if we see the reverse repo facility where, right. where, where, where a lot of money is parked. Mm-hmm. So it's still not clear to me, but I, I think to me the uh, interesting development is that despite this, 
Despite the rise in the U.S. two-year yield, uh, the bill supply, uh, which have all been fairly well received so far, that despite all this, the stock market now, the U.S. stocks are 20% or so off their lows. The uh, European stock market is near its highs for the year. The, the DAX is, is near a multi-year mm-hmm. high. The Japanese stock market has also done incredibly well. I think this might be, we might be at the highest since the uh, early 90s or so. So broadly speaking, I think the idea is that whether whether the Fed goes uh, July, where the ECB goes in July or maybe later this year, or the, or the Bank of England still looks like it's got more, more wood to chop, that the, the market suspects that the central banks are done or nearly done interest rates, or they will be done, say, or just about done by the end of Q3. And I think the markets, that's one of the things to think about, about conceiving of like framing the markets. It's, it's an anticipatory mechanism. Uh, you're, you're like discounting. Uh, future events, future probabilities. And the market, I think, is looking past uh, towards 25 basis points, even 50 basis points in the big scheme of things. And the market, I think, is looking past that. And I think that's mm-hmm. why that's why I think we've seen uh, equities uh, rally so much in face of rising interest rates, mm-hmm. uh, inflation, and the fact that central banks aren't quite done yet. Thanks again for listening, everyone. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe to the Investing Expert podcast. Go ahead and check out the Pragmatic Investor profile on Seeking Alpha. And just to wrap up, remember, anything you hear on this podcast should not be considered investment advice. This is for entertainment purposes only, and you should seek advice from a licensed professional before investing. At times, myself or the guests might own positions in the securities mentioned. You can find transcripts for all our episodes on the Investing Experts author page on Seeking Alpha, and links to the investing groups can be found there or in our podcast show notes under episode descriptions.